Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. Oh, command me, Lord. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us. All that once was good, and it could be again. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. Hello and welcome to the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, welcome back if you've been here before, but welcome for the first time if you haven't. Uh, we are on episode number 223. Uh, so 223, Lethal Weapon 2. It, and it always kind of boggles my mind that we've reached episode number 223, that we've been doing this for a while now and we have hit over 200 episodes. I was listening to, I think it was This American Life the other day, the NPR podcast, and they're in the 600s. So mm-hmm. I feel like if we hurry up, we can catch up to them. But I don't know how you guys feel. I don't. I don't. I don't move all that fast. No, I don't. I don't know that I have the uh, capacity to catch this American Life. I suppose if that podcast were to shut down tomorrow, right? If Ira Glass were to give up, and, exactly, and then we were to continue in, into infinity, then yeah, sure, correct. Or at least until we get to like, I don't know, nineteen ninety-eight. Right. Right. Then mm-hmm. we'd be all right. All right. Well, this is the 30-something movie podcast. You, If you're hearing other voices, first of all, I hope they're the voices of my co-host. If not, we can discuss that later. But um, the other voices you are hearing are the voices of the co-hosts. We have Jeff Mazuka, Pat Canigallo, and Bo Warmbold. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm, uh, I, I'm here. I'm sitting upright, and I'm ready to talk about, what are we talking about? Lethal Weapon 2. I, I feel like sitting upright is a good first step for a lot of things. It, it is. It is. Uh, Bo, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Ready to talk about some good movies. Um, And Pat, how are you doing? Doing fine, man. We're here to talk about Lethal Weapon 2. And before we get to Lethal Weapon 2, we've got a couple of other things that have come up in the last week or so since we last recorded. Um, Very, very quickly first, if you have not joined us before... You might be asking, why are you called the 30-something movie podcast? Well, we talk about movies that are hitting their 30th anniversary. So that is this year. We are in 1989. Uh, Feels a little weird to me that as of next year, we're out of the 80s. The original premise of the show was we really like 80s movies. So let's talk about 80s movies. And now we've kind of hit to the point where we're going to get into the 90s. And at first I was like, ah, 90s, I don't don't know. But then as I start to look at some of the stuff in the early 90s, I'm like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm totally good now. John, we get to talk about the Rocketeer. The Rocket who? The Rocketeer. Don't you read the papers? The beauty, I think the beauty of the early 90s is movies similar to music. The first couple years of the 90s is really an extension of the 80s. You start to look at the, especially in the music spectrum, and and Pat can chime in um, and tell me I'm crazy, but if you look at the type of music and the styles that were released in the early 90s, and then you look at what the late 90s were, there is such a, a departure <laughs> along mm-hmm. the way. I feel like movies are the same. I feel like it's probably all of pop culture, but the first couple of years are going to feel like an extension of what we're doing. I'm looking forward to the mid nineties when things started to 
shift a little more. Um, I think it's going to be cool. When, when you start to get that very distinctive yeah. 90s flair. Right, that 90s flair. And I think for at least me, more movies that I didn't have to beg my parents to take me to. It was it was more stuff I saw in the theater, stuff I uh, I got psyched for. Some of the ones we've been talking about, um, as much as I love from my childhood, it wasn't I saw the trailer, there was anticipation, I have to go see this movie. I was too young, really, mm-hmm. to have that whole scope happen. I think uh, in the 90s I was going to more movies where you saw the trailer at the movie theater as opposed to catching a commercial on right. TV. And it builds that excitement. I mean, heck, you go see a movie now, you see a trailer for a movie that's coming in six months. You're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have six whole months to think, okay. So, yeah, so the premise of our show is uh, we are looking at movies that have turned 30, and um, so that's why we are currently in 1989. But we do have... Um, uh, one of the things that we do when we talk about our movies is we spoil them, so we just want to make sure that you're aware of that, so that as we get going in our conversations here, we will spoil movies that we talk about. So if we start to mention the name of a movie, and you're like, no, 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 haven't seen it, have not seen it yet, then you may want to kind of skip ahead maybe a minute or so, and uh, then come back and listen to the show, because we will get kind of spoilery. We do want to ask as well, if you have not left us a review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate that. That's a nice way to kind of let us know how you're enjoying the show and kind of a way to contribute back to the show that helps us out a little bit. And if you want to find out more, you can go visit our website as well. That's 30podcast.com, and it's got all the different ways you can listen to us, as well as all of our past shows. So that's another great way to find out a little bit more. So very, very quickly, I've got, I think, three different trailers that came out in the last week, week and a half or so. And one other piece of news that's a little bit related to our Lethal Weapon discussion. So we'll throw that out there as well. But we'll do these kind of semi-rapid fire so we can talk about them for just a minute. Um, so we had some trailers that came out in the last week, week and a half. That we did. Yeah. So let's start, with did. The, let's start with the shortest one. Let's start with Ghostbusters. How did everybody feel about the kind of surprise of this Ghostbusters trailer? I'm excited. I think the the directorial DNA is uh, is fun. Yeah, I was a bit surprised to uh, see a trailer so soon, as brief as it was even, because wasn't it just like the day before Jason Reitman announced that he's been he's got this movie that he's working on as a, a sequel to Ghostbusters 2? And all of a sudden, we get this little teaser trailer the next day. I was not expecting that, but I enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, it's not often you can turn something around that fast, so that means they've been sitting on this news a while. I'm surprised they were able to keep it quiet. We have vase. Yeah, and it was, like you said, it didn't give you much, but it was just enough to pique your interest and, and just enough to kind of 
let you know that this movie, unlike the last Ghostbusters movie that came out, um, that this movie will probably be a sequel, maybe, to the original Ghostbusters movies. You know, you kind of get that sense with uh, seeing the Ecto-1 in the in the barn and somebody either working on some kind of a device, repairing it, whatever it might be. You get all the sound effects of their proton packs. And so you get the idea that this is definitely going to be a sequel. And I think they've said that. They haven't said much about it, but I think they've definitely said that this is a sequel to um, Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2. So Yeah, th- this this movie is ignoring the all-female Ghostbusters movie that recently came out, which, um, of course, then created a bit of controversy. Um, I don't know if, if anyone's seen the quotes from Leslie Jones, who was in the all-female version. I saw, I saw a headline today, but I didn't read the article. So uh, her complaint is, you know, is that they're, she feels slighted. They've completely overlooked the, the movie that they did in her eyes, in her estimation. They, uh, they, they've completely dismissed everything about the movie, the new movie that came out and she's not happy about it. Understandably. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. My takeaway though is, you know, why can't there be a sequel to the eighties movie? Like, because it's been rebooted, we have to completely ignore the, the original movies. I've, Attempted to watch the new one a couple times now and haven't completed it. Did they tie it back to the originals in any way? No. Well, yes, they did a little bit. And they tied it in in terms of um, kind of hinting at an upcoming villain. Like if there was going to be a sequel at the end of the movie, they're listening to this like spectral recording. And and somebody, I think it was Kate McKinnon or somebody says, guys, does anybody, does, does the name Zool mean anything to anybody? They were kind of hinting at the idea that maybe either that's just a, a quick, like, tongue-in-cheek, hey, look, we are tying this into the history of the other Ghostbusters franchise, or maybe they could have gone the route of using something along those lines for a sequel. So very, very loosely tied in, but kind of the idea that those other Ghostbusters never existed. So then I don't understand how it necessarily invalidates. It makes it sound like they happen in two separate universes. So Zool shows up in both. He is an interdimensional being after all. Well, and, and that's the thing too, because, you know, her complaint is that her story and her cast's story is no longer relevant when, like you just said, it, it's it's two entirely separate ideologies, really. So I, I don't understand. I don't understand, I guess, what, why she got as offended as she did unless someone from the studio called her and said no this is to replace everything that you guys did we wish we didn't make your movie right or you know could be based on some of the backlash that uh, or not even i don't want to call it backlash just really hateful stuff that was sent her way and and directed at some of the other people who made the all-female ghostbusters movie Mm -hmm. that i'm sure that's still fairly fresh in their minds of all the feedback that they got. And then um, I be, I'm, I would assume that she and the rest of that cast, I don't want to speak for them, but I would assume that their mind was, hey, you know what? Forget what all these people are saying. Those are the people that are just hating on this. We do have people that love this. So hopefully we get to make another one and that'll be great. And we can continue to tell our story and it'll be a lot of fun. And so I maybe she just kind of feels like the studio caved didn't want to have to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, it'll be interesting to see 
of course, where it goes and how mired it all gets. If it'll, you know, end up being something like, you know, people are calling for a boycott or something like that simply because on the surface, they don't like how it makes them look or makes them feel. But I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I enjoyed the first one. The, the sequel I wasn't a huge fan of, but it was still kind of fun. So if they're able to have a really good story and reunite that original cast, then good form. You know, I hope it works out well. So you're saying with regard to Ghostbusters 2, everything they were doing was bad? You just want them to know this? Everything you're doing <laughs> is bad. I, I just want you to know that. He is Vigo! Command me, Lord! Yes. All right, the, 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 the joyfulness is over. You know, you mean the uh, Statue of Liberty dance into uh, Your Love is Lifting Me Higher doesn't do it for you? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. All right. Well, that'll be interesting when we get to that one. All right. Well, there were some other trailers that happened. Um, so the Ghostbusters one was a whopping like 43 seconds, I think. Um, so I don't, we can call that a teaser. I don't know if we can really call that a trailer. But we had a couple other things that came out in the last week or so. Did everybody here get a chance to see the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer? And how? I have not. Oh, man. Thank you, Spider-Man. That was so good. Hey, sorry I'm late. Happy. You look nice. Thank you. You too. Thank you. New dress? Yes, it is. How'd you know? <laughs> what just happened? Planning a trip? Mm-hmm. Going to Europe. It's a school trip. Did you get your passport? Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please. Mini toothpaste? Mm-hmm. Pack your suit. I just want to go on my trip with my friends. Europe doesn't really need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You look really pretty. And therefore, I have value. No, no, that's not I'm right. messing with you. <laughs> you look pretty, too. I just want to spend some time with MJ. I think she really likes me, dude. That reminds me when I first fell in love. I had just finished my phone call. So nice to finally meet you, Spider-Man. You're Nick Fury. Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. Is he going to be okay like that? Might want to turn him over so he doesn't swallow his tongue. I think Nick Fury just hijacked our summer vacation. Awesome! You got gifts, Parker. But you have a job to do. Are you going to step up or not? You're all alone. Your friends are in trouble. What are you going to do about it? You don't want any part of this. He's like Iron Man and Thor rolled into one. He's no Spider-Man. What is it with you and Spider-Man? What, he looks out for the neighborhood, has a dope suit, and I really respect him. Sup, dickwad? 
you are going to need to remedy that as quickly as possible. What's the what's happening? So what's not happening? So basically, um, so I think one of the questions a lot of people had had was, where is this going to take place? Like Infinity War has happened. And Mm -hmm. as I said earlier, we spoil some things. So I've just said the word Infinity War. So if anybody needs to take like a, you know, 30 to 60 second break or jump ahead in the podcast, um, Peter Parker, not so much around after Infinity War. And uh, so a lot of people are like, okay, well, where does this movie take place then? Is this after Avengers Endgame? Have things been fixed and he's back? Or is this before all of that? Or what's going on here? So, and some people wondered because before they had released anything, um, I think some people had also wondered, well, he was on another planet at that point when, you know, we got to Avengers Infinity War. So does Far From Home mean he's trying to get back? to earth or what's going on here. So um, basically what we learned from the trailer is that far from home is he's on a field trip. So he's with his friends. He's on a field trip there. I think it's a summer trip to Europe. And I think initially the idea is he has a point in the trailer where he's kind of musing whether or not he's going to take his Spider-Man suit with him. He's like, look, I just, I just want to go on a trip with my friends. Europe doesn't need a Spider-Man I'm, I'm leaving the suit behind. And so you kind of see that at one point in the trailer, but then as obviously the movie would be really boring if nothing happens. So uh, we do see a point at which he's on his trip and he gets, um, he gets confronted by Nick Fury and Nick Fury obviously has some mission in mind for him. And then the trailer kind of goes from there. Who's watching the trailer without sound right now. So I can just sort of be part of this conversation. What I saw looked like Spider-Man and a man talking about a tasty burger. I just wanted to it could be. interject that. Well, in Amsterdam, yeah. you know, they could be. Maybe they end up in Amsterdam at some point. A Royale with cheese. A Royale with cheese. That's what they call them. Did you know they put mayonnaise on their fries? Yeah. Drown them in that stuff. They do, yeah. You know what they call a Big Mac? Le Big Mac. Le, Le Big Mac, yeah. Hey, speaking of drowning your fries in mayonnaise, do you know what they have at the store now? What's that? Heinz now sells a, uh, they call it, it's ketchup and mayonnaise. They call it like, I can't even remember how they've concatenated the words, but essentially it's mayo ketchup and it's called the mayo ketchup saucy sauce. Oh, is it mayo chup? Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the official word from the 30 something movie podcast is, yeah, that's gross. It, it, the color is wrong. It's just wrong. Wrong. Oh, the whole thing. It's all wrong. Okay. Which, and I don't think there's any mayo chup in Spider-Man Far From Home, so I think we're probably No, okay. no, I don't think so. Trailer looks good. I'll have to watch it later with, you know, words. Yeah, so the, the villain in this one is Mysterio, so I don't know how well-versed anybody is in the Spider-Man stories. Um, does anybody know more about Mysterio as a villain? No, I'm my Spider-Man stuff sticks to, like... Doc Ock and um, Venom and um, Green Goblin, that kind of stuff. Thank you, thank you. That's the one I'm picturing in my head and couldn't come up with. Yeah, the basic ones. I don't, I don't know about Mysterio much. I remember the name. But that's about it. Jeff, I know you're a little bit more of a comic book reader than some of the other guys. So, do you do you know much about the kind of backstory of Mysterio? I do not. You were telling me the other day at work, though, because I was having trouble placing it. Yeah, I'm not a. I, I was never a really huge Spider-Man fan. I mean, I would, I, I'd 
by Spider-Man comics occasionally. So my knowledge of who Mysterio is, is kind of, it's, it's kind of here and there, hit or miss. Um, my understanding from just jumping around to different, like the cartoons and comics and things like that, is that he was originally like a special effects guy for Hollywood movies, very theatrical as a villain, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I was not sure how he would come across as a supervillain. So I, you know, the moment that you see him in the trailer, I was like, nope, I'm good. He seems like he's going to do a pretty decent job at it. So from the, you know, 2.5 seconds we saw him, but um, yeah, so I, that's, that's what I know about the kind of backstory of Mysterio is that it's either a special effects or it's hypnosis or a little bit of both. So either way, the trailer looked great. It had the you know same kind of humor as it had in the other movies. So I'm, I'm all completely on board. Um, I, I thought that initial scene of, um, of happy Hogan and aunt may kind of flirting back and forth a little bit was very, very funny. So I'm kind of looking forward to what, how they, decide to use that in the movie and you just see the awkwardness on Peter's face. It's like, what, what just happened here mm-hmm. on that same note? Did anybody see as, as people are doing that 10 year challenge on social media, did anybody see the Marvel one that got put out? Is that the one with Aunt May? Yeah. Aunt May from 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago versus Aunt May now. Yeah, I saw that. And it was the Aunt May from 10 years ago. It was the older actress, Aunt May that was in the, um, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. And then the current Aunt May is Marissa Tomei. And they're like, wow, she's aged gracefully. All right, so we had Spider-Man Far From Home, and then the last trailer that I just saw pop up, I, maybe maybe it first came out last night during some of the football games, was a new Shazam trailer. Daily Batson, I choose you. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam! to purchase some of your finest beer please Shazam a lair yes if you have a location like on a cliff like a castle-esque type thing overlooking some water overlooking some water splashing on rocks and stuff then we will take that experience it in IMAX I have not seen that one I did not get a chance to see it, no. I think the the Shazam movie looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like they are taking the parts, you know, some people accused, and, and I'm, you guys know this, and people who have listened know this, I am a diehard Man of Steel fan. So I think what they've done is they've taken the parts of Man of Steel that people had criticisms about, like Superman's too serious, Superman should enjoy his powers, he should be having fun when he discovers he can fly, and things like that. And I think that that's what they're doing with this movie. They're saying, let's take everything that Man of Steel was and let's flip it on its head. And let's have, because it's basically the story of a kid getting superpowers anyway. And so we're just going to, we're going to have fun with this one. So I think they've done a complete 180 from the idea of the grim and gritty DCEU movies to, hey, Aquaman, Shazam. Let's just have some fun. These are comic book characters. Let's have fun with them. It's going to be a fun movie. It looks like it's going to be a fun movie. Every time we've seen these trailers from the the first one that came out a few months ago to the one that came out last night or, or whenever it was, my kids have been like, oh, I want to see that right now. 
So, so we're excited about it. It's, it looks really funny. All right. Last piece of news that I have, and I, this, I don't know that needs to have any discussion to go along with it, but I just happened to see this today and it relates uh, to our lethal weapon discussion. Uh, the Jumanji sequel. So they're doing a third Jumanji movie and it is supposed to come out this December. So December 13th, 2019, uh, they had previously announced that Danny DeVito would be joining the cast, but then they just announced within the last couple of days that another Danny would be joining the cast, and it's Danny Glover. Isn't he too old for this stuff? You would think so. Good for him. I'm trying to think of what Danny Glover's been in recently. You know, he's been he's made some really interesting choices with his acting career, and I, I don't mm. say that to mean like he's done he's made bad choices. He's made choices that are not like he he doesn't always play it safe with some of his acting choices. Like he's been in some mm-hmm. independent stuff, some smaller films. Um, but you know, he's it, I, from what I can recall and I haven't seen everything that he's done more recently, but he's kind of got a, a wide range of stuff that he's done over his career, which to me always, you know, that always seems pretty interesting that you can be in these, you know, big budgets, comedy action movies, but then you'll also be in this little tiny film that barely anybody knows about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, some some straight to video stuff, some TV movies, TV series type things. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm looking on his IMDb page right now. So am I. I don't recognize most of this stuff. Yeah, I, I can't tell you anything about. I mean, he's got how many movies? He's got five, six, maybe five movies listed for 2019 alone. What is that? Like eight movies for 2018. So he's not sitting around doing nothing. I can go back as far as 2012 when he was on that TV series uh, Touch with Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But since 2012, I don't recognize any of these titles that, that he was in. And and I knew he was on that show. I never watched that show. He was, yeah, if I go back to 2010, he was in the pilot episode of uh, the TV show Human Target. Oh, yeah. He shows up for like five seconds at the end of the, the first episode. Other than that, in the movie 2012 that came out in 2009, he was the president. But yeah, so I mean, not a whole lot of stuff that you could say, oh yeah, Danny Glover was in that. He obviously is keeping very busy. And and if you just look at this, it's a it's a combination of straight-to-video TV series, um, you know, cartoon voice acting stuff, independent film, big-budget film. Well, you know what they say. First you make the safe pick, then you make the dangerous pick, then you make the pick that your friend says you got to do because you owe him. All right, so for this section, uh, we talk about this week in 89. So very, very quickly, here are some things that happened in 1989 um, in this week of January 23rd to 29th. Uh, January 23rd, Spanish artist Salvador Dali dies. Uh, January 24th, the serial killer Ted Bundy is executed. January 25th, Michael Jordan scores his 10,000th point. And on January 25th, also AT&T reports its first loss of profit in 103 years. Wah, wah. Uh, the top book was The Sands of Time by Sidney Sheldon. The top movie was Rain Man. And the top song was Two Hearts by Phil Collins. So Lethal Weapon 2 came out the 7th of July, 1989. Rated R. Runtime of one hour and 54 minutes. Directed by Richard Donner, who also did the Superman movie, The Goonies, and Scrooged. Producers were Richard Donner and Joel Silver. Donner also produced the Lethal Weapon movies, uh, the X-Men movie. Silver also produced Predator and Roadhouse. Writers for this one were Jeffrey Bohm who did the screenplay. He died in 2000. He also did the screenplay for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Shane Black did part of the story. Um, he also did writing for the original Lethal Weapon 2. 
or lethal weapon, not lethal weapon. He did both. I'm just going to stop <laughs> there now. Um, he also wrote for the Monster Squad. And then Warren Murphy also did part of the story for this. And he wrote a story for a movie called The Iger Sanction, which I have never seen before. I think it's a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, I have never seen before, but uh, Jason Colvin, one of our regular listeners to the show, mentioned that one time. I remember in a, I think in a tweet or a Facebook post, he said that he really enjoyed this movie. And I had never heard of it before, so I looked it up at the time. And when this popped up, I'm like, oh, that's the same movie that I had never heard of before. Cinematography was done by Stephen Goldblatt, who also did The Pelican Brief and The Help. Music was done by Eric Clapton, Michael Common, who died in 2003, and David Sanborn. Clapton also did, I think, most of the Lethal Weapon movies, the movie Story of Us. Uh, Common did The Iron Giant and X-Men, and Sanborn did the Lethal Weapon movies. Budget for this one was $50 million. The box office was $227.9 million. Flickmetrics gives it a 74% rating, uh, averaged out from Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and Letterboxd. And then uh, the actors for this one, we have Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs. He was in Braveheart and Ransom. Danny Glover was Roger Murtaugh. He was in The Color Purple and Predator 2. Joe Pesci was Leo Getz. Okay, okay, okay. Here's what he was in. He was in My Cousin Vinny and Goodfellas. Joss Ackland played Arjun Rood. He was in The Hunt for Red October and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Derek O'Connor, who died in 2018, played Peter Vorstedt. He was in Daredevil and Brazil. Patsy Kensett played Rika Vandenhaas. Uh, she was in Absolute Beginners and Hanover Street. Darlene Love played Trish Murtaugh. She was in the Lethal Weapon movies and I think a few TV series here and there. And Tracy Wolf was Rianne Murtaugh and she was also in the Lethal Weapon movies and a few TV series here and there. Here is the trailer audio, and we'll be back in just a moment. Who is it? Police, open up. How do I know you're the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up. Mel Gibson. Danny Glover. Come on, let's go, Rod. Oh, no, we shit. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Come on, Rod. Don't be a killjoy. Oh, come on, we're back. We're bad. You're black. I'm mad. Come on, man. Hey, 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 listen. If we're going, shouldn't I have a gun? No. no. Now, get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation. I mean, sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic Gun! is back. Watch out the window, no! Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? You're my partner or what? Why didn't you follow me down? Yeah, why didn't you follow him down? Shut up! I'm seven floors up! Lethal Weapon 2. You go first. I'm really too old for this. You go first. I'll cover you. Eeny, meeny, miny. Hey, Mom! Good police work, officer. Come on. No. Back to my place. Hey, I'll even cook. You're lucky. I have to live with that. You're not going to make it. I'm gonna make it. No, there's not enough room. You were right, you know. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough room. Lethal Weapon 2. This time, they're not taking any crap. Just get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like that. This is one of those movies that we've, I think we feel like we've said this for the last few weeks with the movies we've done with Batman and Last Crusade and now this one. Um, has is this the first time watching this for anybody? That'd be a big no from uh, from Jeffrey. No, yeah, okay. I mean, all right. I, I figured that was pretty safe to assume that we had all seen this at one point in time. Um, so, do you recall the first time you did watch this? Were you, um, you know, was it fairly close to when it came out? I mean, we we were a little bit younger at that point, so still these R rated movies would have been tough to see then, unless we had like a an uncle that showed us movies we weren't supposed to see. 
Um, did you see this closer to when it came out, or was it more like high school, college age? I think I saw it at a young age with the, with an uncle that I wasn't probably supposed to have seen this movie, from what I remember, because I've seen this one a lot. One of those, you know, recorded it from a, rented it from Blockbuster, made a copy. Not that we anyone ever did that. I think I was in high school when I saw this. And I remember watching it with my with my older brother and my parents. I think the four of us, like fr- one Friday night, we ordered pizza, and this was—I don't know if this movie was on or um, or we rented it or what. But I remember watching it with because I cracked I cracked a joke while watching it when uh, when Murtaugh uses the nail gun and gets those two guys out in his garage. I made the joke that that he nailed them both right before he said it in the movie. And my parents looked at me as if to say, how did you know he was going to say that? And in all honesty, I had not seen this movie movie before. My mind just went to making that joke. I was not as convincing, though, when I uh, predicted a scene that was going to happen when we were watching Pretty Woman. Got that? I got that one. Got that one a little bit too too on the nose, and my parents knew. Oh, Jeffrey's been watching a movie somewhere. But yeah, this 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 must have been early high school then for me. So that would have been early nineties. I think this was a high school one. It, it was either high school or it was very early on in college, and I think I realized I had not seen any of the movies. Like, I think Lethal Weapon 4 was coming out in theaters. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go see Lethal Weapon 4 before I watch the other three. So I'm going to skip it in the theaters for now, and then I'll just watch it when it comes on video. So I feel like, and I know that one came out in like 1980, no, 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 1998 or 99 maybe. So it would have been right around the, it was probably a senior in high school. So if I waited until that one came out on video, I probably just waited and checked out all four at the same time. And just blew through all four of them uh, in a weekend or something. So I, that would be my guess. That's an interesting roller coaster. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a lot of fun, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a roller coaster that does really quite, well at the beginning and then kind of gets a little crazy towards the end. Oh, it's but quite it's, different it's, styles. It's fun from the beginning of the first one to the end of the fourth one. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Quality wise, you know, the, they. Obviously, they don't all have the same quality, but they are all fun. That's that is the one thing I'll definitely say about the Lethal Weapon movies is, I've never not had fun watching a Lethal Weapon movie. I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. Pat, what about you? When was the first time you saw this one? Well, my experience was very similar to uh, what you had, uh, where you ended up watching them all in one night, and it was um, uh, it was it was similar. I gosh, was it high school or? It, um, I don't know when the heck it was. It was late junior high or early high school when I finally saw them all. But it was a, a sleepover at a kid's house, and he, a friend's house, and we watched Lethal Weapon 3. And Lethal Weapon 3 had just come, um, Lethal Weapon 3 had just come out on video. And I remember this uh, friend of mine had like a, uh, a projection TV down in his basement. So, I mean, it was, uh, that was pretty awesome watching, watching that. But we watched Lethal Weapon 3. Everyone else had seen the first two. I hadn't. Um, just 
because I, you know, I that was right when I was starting to watch like rated R movies. I never really saw them super young, and so I got all the way through Lethal Weapon three and thought it was pretty fantastic and enjoyed it. And we all got talking, and and it was like, yeah, well, what'd you think? Or wasn't as good? And I wasn't as good as the first one, but it was fun and blah 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 blah. And I said, well, guys, you know what? I, I've never seen any of the other Lethal Weapons movie, and it was kind of like the record scratching to a halt. But you know, the record <laughs> scratch thing. Everyone looked and said, you you've never seen Lethal Weapon. And then I said, uh, no. And they said, you just watched the third one. Why didn't you say so before? And it was, so then we went back and, you know, spent the rest of the night. We went back, we watched three. Then we went back and watched one, two. And then I think we did three again, or I don't know. But um, we spent the whole night watching Lethal Weapon movies. So it was kind of like, you know, the kid version of when I first saw Commando for the podcast. <laughs> it was just like my mind was blown wide open because... At that point, there was no Lethal Weapon 4. It was like all the Lethal Weapons in one. So um, that I, I'm 99.9% sure that would have been the first time I saw Lethal Weapon 2. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I for me, a lot of the jokes in Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part 2 made a lot more sense after I saw these movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There were certain things that it was like, well, okay, I know that that's, I know they're making fun of something from some other uh-huh. movie but i don't know what it is well this one had its, this one had its own spin-off too it was a uh, loaded weapon yes with emilio estevez i think it was so with this one so now this one has kind of a this one has an interesting reputation as i was kind of looking up some stuff online about lethal weapon 2 it has a bit of an interesting reputation as some people think it's one of the greatest um you know, action movie sequels that's ever been made. And other people are like, oh, nope. After the first one, ugh. they they all went downhill after there. And I think I'm kind of of the mind that I, you know, Pat, I think you and I were talking about this um, a few days ago at work. And I, I think I might like this one better than the first one. I think I do. Do you? Because it just seems to me like there's just more it, their relationship. And I, I think that's why I like this one better is their relationship is established. Like you don't have, it, it's got more of the fun factor to it. You don't have Riggs, you know, always having that death wish that he had in the first movie, which, which is fine for the first movie. I mean, that's, that's kind of his character, his personality. But in this movie, you just get to see a whole lot more of, they've been partners for a while and you can just, they're, they're just, you can tell they're more comfortable with each other and it's like just fun to watch. Yeah, this one's more fun. It falls into the buddy cop genre a little better. The original was just darker, and I'm not sure if it's a film style, but it also feels more dated when you watch it. I can't explain what it is that makes it feel so dated, but something you like feel the original like this one? feels... No, no, the original. I feel like watching the original. Oh, the original, okay. It just comes across as super dated, whereas this one, yeah, there's... Obviously, some of the visuals, like the cars and whatnot, obviously date the movie. But I feel like it's a buddy cop movie that could be really any time. But the original, something about it, it's just different. I don't know. John, in your research, did you come across anything about uh, if they if the sequel had been planned or if because the first one did well enough, they tried to, you know, get that lightning in a bottle again and and see if they could make it work 
Yeah, I didn't come across anything as to whether this sequel was planned or not. It it almost they almost kind of made it sound like it was, but I didn't find anything that definitively said it was. Originally, in one of the first or several first drafts of this movie, there was not a plan for a third movie. Um, you know, and that's, that's something when we get to our five questions, I'm going to ask that question to everybody. But, um, one of the things that to jump to the end of this movie for a second, one of the things at the end of this movie was Riggs was supposed to die. So there were definitely no plans for a third movie. It was kind of one, two, and then we're out. Um, but no, I couldn't find anything definitive to say that this one was definitely a sequel that was planned ahead of time. See, and I'd be willing to believe that it wasn't planned ahead of time because if it was i would feel like it would i feel like the tone would be more similar to the first one yeah and because this is a much lighter tone the humor is a lot more on point um i feel like you know it's it's some something happened in which they either got a note from the studio saying got to lighten it up a little bit or the first one did well and they decided to try to make a sequel and this is what they uh this is what they ended up with it is the second draft of the script the original was darker i did find that somewhere yeah that it was going to be much more intense and and very violent um okay i just i was i looked up something just really fast to see if they had um decided to do a sequel ahead of time and according to this it it says no it was following the success of the first film then warner brothers and the producers um approached uh shane black to write the second one so they it was after the first one was popular then they decided to go out and do the second one but he wrote a much darker draft of the script and and at the end of that draft you have Riggs dying um and I think everybody read that and they're like, mm, no, I don't think so. That's not the direction we want to take this. We want to play up more of the comedy. And it definitely works. I feel like, I, you know, I, I think it kept a lot of the essence from the first one and and used it as a good foundation. Um, you know, I, I think that you you still get the, you definitely get the action. You get the... You, know, you you get the shoot 'em up stuff, um, but yeah, it's just it, it's a lighter tone that I think just makes it more enjoyable overall. It does, you know, it does go to some kind of dark places when uh, you know when they throw rigs into the into the ocean and he comes across um, uh, what's her face, Rika. Rika, he comes yeah. across Rika floating down there, yeah. and he, you know, he finds out that these are the guys responsible for killing his wife. You know, it it does bring back that element of darkness a little bit, but nowhere near as heavy-handed as as the first one. First one is great. This one, I think, is is enjoyable, but just for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. They, I, w- I was reading up a little bit on the the draft of this one. And they said that there were a lot of things that got changed. I really, I think the only thing that stayed the same from Shane Black's original draft of this, they said, was the destroying the the, the house on stilts. Um, that's really the only scene, I guess, that was stayed the same. Uh, Leo Getz was supposed to be a really small part, just had 
you know, I guess maybe a, a few lines of dialogue, but nothing a whole lot more than that. Um, I was reading here, they have a scene where a, a plane, an airplane full of cocaine gets destroyed and the cocaine kind of falls on Los Angeles like snow. Um, and there's, you know, I guess the, the woman, uh, Rika gets tortured at one point, or no, not Rika, one of the, uh, police officers, one of the women police officers gets tortured by the South Africans. And so it's just a much darker, much more intense film had they gone with that early draft, which then would beg the question if it falls like, if the cocaine is falling out of the plane, like snow, is this a Christmas movie? Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) I think I'll go ahead and fall on the side of no this time. Just, you know. I reject your question. Okay. (laughs) You usually do. Um, So let me ask you about one of the things you kind of mentioned was finding out that the South Africans, or, or at least this one South African, was also the person that killed his wife. I think when I think about this movie and I think about the, I, I really enjoy this movie. I, I really like this movie. I think when I think about the problems that I have with this movie, that's one of the only ones that I can think of is then it starts to get to like the criticism people have about the Star Wars prequels. It's like, okay, wait, now who's related to who now? Yeah. How did they, they just shoehorned that in there and. Right. You get this South African, you know, hitman that comes in as part of this second movie seemingly with no connection at all to the first movie. And all of a sudden you find out, well, not only has he killed your brand new girlfriend that you've had for like a day and a half, um, but he also killed your wife. Yeah. But I think if, if he was commissioned to write this one on the basis of the first one being successful, I think he was probably looking for a way to tie the two together a little bit other than it's the same character. And at the time probably did not know that there was going to be a third one. And a fourth one. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of that, you know, hits because now when we get movies, we get movies in triplicate. You know, like just about every movie that comes out, the question is, when is the sequel coming out? When is, you know, um, you, or you hear that, oh, well, you know, this guy's under contract to make three of these movies. So, you know, you're just expected that, you kind of expect that everything links together in some way, shape or form. You know, whether it's, well, this guy was the one guy that killed everybody or one, you know. So I think I, when we look back on these older movies, that maybe hits a little bit more on the nose than if you were watching them as they were coming out. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I mean, back in the day, I don't think they, well, our discussion of like a minute ago, did they plan a sequel? Did they not plan a sequel? Were they planning a third sequel or no, you know, now, now everything is all like pre-cooked and you got it all planned out. And somehow everyone's going to link together. But back in the day, it, I mean, maybe if you look at it back in the day, it might just have been a little bit more of a, oh man, here's the really bad guy that Briggs has to fight. And that's their way of doing it. It's just, well, he was the guy that, you know, killed his wife when they were trying to kill him. So I, I think our perspective might be a little bit different on those things just because now movies come out and you know already planned to be linked to one or two or three other films maybe they did research on Riggs and saw that his wife had been killed and that was just something that they said to him just trying to stick it to him before they killed him could be so maybe it, it's not true at all all psychological they know, yeah they know that his wife was killed so why not you know i'm about to kill this guy but why not really destroy him before i kill him and tell him i'm also the one that killed your wife 
Yeah, that's true. Could have been lying about it. Okay. Um, one, one thing I was going to ask you guys, too, is that part of the bringing more comedy in this is adding the character of Leo Getz. And obviously he becomes Love a it. bigger character in the later okay, movies. Okay, so. okay. Okay, okay. Um, so, Jeff, you obviously you love it. Oh, I love Leo Getz. What a great Whatever character. you want, Leo Getz. They've actually had a lot of fun with the Leo character in the new TV show. Okay, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't watched the new TV show at all, so I wasn't sure if if that gets brought into it or or how oh, yeah. how similar how similar is the TV show to kind of the storyline of the movies. I think the first season was, but it, you know, spoiler alert, everybody, they kill Riggs at the end of the first season, and they bring in another partner. But uh, really, yeah, yeah, it was it was I was shocked. Um, they brought in a guy with similar issues which i thought was even more interesting so the actor must have wanted out for some reason because i can't necessarily see a reason mm-hmm. to kill Riggs. you brought in a guy with some of the same problems not so much of the death wish but uh, other issues um mm-hmm. i think they've actually done a great job with the second season now it's just a buddy cop show you know um but the leo stuff is really good really it's just such a great counterpoint to all the other stuff going on you know He's just so funny. And the guy playing him... Shoot, now I'm going to have to look it up real quick. Um, yeah, the, I'm looking it up. I'm interested to see who who's, um, who's playing him. It's uh, it's perfect. It's it's They couldn't have done a better job with it. That's why it's killing me that I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Well, I, I think I think the Leo Getz character is awesome. It's, it's, it's like comic relief done right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's... That's the, you know, he's an interesting character. He's well done. Yeah, he's an he's annoying, but it's not like, it's not like it's annoying to the audience. It's not like a, and I know this is a way outside comparison, but it's not like a Jar Jar Banks kind of right. Thing. You know, it's 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 not like, oh, what are you doing? It, it's like it it, he's annoying to everybody except for the audience who finds him hilarious. Yeah, and the TV show it's played by Thomas Lennon. I just I just looked it up and it was Clayne Crawford played Riggs in the TV series. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what they mention here is that um, I'm on the Wikipedia page and it says in May 2018, amidst reports of bad behavior and incidents of hostility between cast and crew on the show's set, Crawford was fired from the show, resulting in the Martin Riggs character being killed by his father's second son. There he it was is. Subsequently replaced in the third season by Sean William Scott as a new character named Wesley Cole. Who's been great? I mean, the, the show's been great. The the stuff they're doing is fun. Yeah, it always it always looked like a fun show. I just had never, you know, of all the different shows that I've got on my backlog of things to watch, I had just sure. never yeah. put that one on yet. So, I actually watched an episode off the DVR sometime this morning. So I, this is going to be kind of a tough one. But do you have? Does anybody have a favorite scene or a favorite quote? There's uh, so many of them from this one. Well, so it. Every time okay. Danny Glover says, "I'm too old for this stuff." I mean, that's just good. But I, I think I've already called this scene out in our best of um, uh, from last year. But the toilet bomb scene, it's just the whole thing yeah. from the from the minute Riggs finds him on the toilet through the time when the shrink comes around the corner and says, I've helped officers through the worst times of their life. I There's nothing in there I've never seen. And she comes around the corner and says, nope. I'm walking away. (laughs) 
to the minute the toilet lands on the car. I mean, just that whole sequence is just great on so many levels. And you know what? Whatever they made that toilet out of, I think that's what they need to make like bomb squad outfits out of. Right? Because <laughs> that, that toilet survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I do like that line. This is, it, it's a ridiculous, it's a very serious situation. But it's just, I think that scene to me almost sums up the entire movie. You've got this very serious situation. You've got, you know, a guy is stuck because there's a bomb that's going to go off if he moves. And you've got the comedy part in there. You've, he's got the line that I'm going to die on a toilet, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Guys like you don't die on toilets. So you've got a serious part. You've got the comedy part of it and the whole idea, you know, them doing the count to three part of it, the, the countdown from three. And then the very just, just like the sweetness between the two of them. It's like you have these two grown men that are you know, like tough cops and, and all this. But like they have this exchange without even really saying anything. They have this exchange that's like, hey, if I if I don't make it, I just want you to know. And he's like, yeah, yeah I, I know, I know. And it just like that whole thing, for as much as some people say that like this movie and some of the other Lethal Weapon movies are just like this crazy mishmash of buddy cop action comedy craziness, that scene to me has a little bit of everything in it. It's yep. serious, it's intense, but it's also goofy and it's just very sincere and yeah so i that probably is one of my one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie just that how that encapsulates everything i think i've got two scenes that i really like one of them is when uh leo and murtaugh go to the south african consulate (laughs) yes and just like that that whole back and forth was just so great but and you know as as the, the diversion that it's the diversion that it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and and a lot of it is just Leo's responses to everything. You know, when the guy's like, but you're black. But you're black. And Leo looks at him and he goes, you are. And he looks back at the other guy and <laughs> yeah. goes, he is. Like, it's just, it's so, those lines are so well delivered. And I know I would love to see bloopers of, of, of that because I'm sure they must have been cracking up doing that scene. And then when they retell it for Riggs. It's almost as funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because they're just like, they're losing it t- retelling the story. <laughs> um, then the other scene is when they're in the captain's office. It's the I don't give an F scene. <laughs> that whole conversation. Yes. And just how, how well it all comes back around. Just great writing. Great delivery. Great writing. And then lot, the, the... It, just, it makes me laugh. And then the callback to that, when the captain walks away and Leo's like, what did he say? He said, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? And it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, that, that whole thing, which you referenced that scene, I use that quote all the time with, you know, some of our colleagues, we don't need to mention names, can tend to be a little eccentric or one of my colleagues will, will say something that just causes everyone's head, to, what? And I'll just be like, yeah, you're lucky. I've got to live with that. And walk out, you know, and it's, it's, it really, it's a good line, man. It works. I'll let you guys use your imagination to try and figure out which colleagues I'm talking about. But as far as favorite scenes, I'm, I'm trying to get it narrowed down. I've got it down to about 10. Um, so I'll try to go through them briefly, but uh, here I'll, I'll try to go even more specific. Um, I love like just certain ways that, that these actors 
bring these certain parts of the characters out. And you know, we're talking about the much the much uh, praised toilet scene. I love the scene where the bomb squad guy says, Riggs, you got to leave the room. And Riggs says, I'm not leaving. And he says, Riggs, you got to leave the room. And he just he just turns that death stare at him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Mel Gibson just delivers that look like, you know, and like you said, you know, a look that delivers it all. I just love that look. It's just like, yeah, I'm not but just said I, I don't even need to put words to it. It's just it, you can taste it. It's that it's that powerful. So I love that look. Um, I love the scene where, you know, after Riggs pulls the front end of the building off the cliff and, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do with Leo and Leo's like, guys, can I, can I ring the siren? Can I, can I use the siren? And they're all like, go, go ahead, ring it loud. Okay. I love how he asks to use the siren. Really? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. And then he goes, "Really, really, you mean it?" And then, uh, and then finally, I was just, um, you know, uh, I love the. uh, No, not finally. I'm sorry. I'm still working through my things. I love the scene where the way they set the chase scene with the surfboard and the truck, you know, and that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's just timed down perfectly. Where Riggs takes off running, so the scene is picking up speed. Then Danny Glover and, and Joe Pesci are kind of tripping over each other, trying to get into the car and come on, here we go. And then, you know, it all builds up. And then the next clip you get is the truck rocketing down the road with rigs hanging off in the back. And that's when they cue the music. It's really, really well put together and timed, like just the way they build into that whole excitement of the chase scene is pretty stellar. And then the only final thing I'm going to mention, I promise, promise, the final thing that I'm going to mention is at the very beginning when they flash Lethal Weapon 2 across the, across the screen. And it's like, I think it's, it's like the effect is like a, a ripping kind of thing where it just kind of rips across the screen. And then the music is kind of building up and you get the little quote of Looney Tunes. And then it goes into this chase scene. That, I mean, that right there, you talk about what sums up the movie, that little, that little quote of right at the beginning of the music, it's like, that sums up the whole movie right there. So I, those, you know, I, I mean, I'd love to say every single scene, but um, I, I'm trying to be more specific. So like, you know, the look here, the delivery of the, can I ring the siren, the quote of Looney Tunes, and just the whole way they built the chase scene. I, I a, a very, very uh, good attention to detail on so many different levels. I do like what you mentioned, the chase scene in the one part. I, I think of the chase scene at the beginning. And that's sure. probably one of my other favorite parts too. Just the, just, you get that sense of their partnership and just how crazy Riggs still is. Um, but just mm-hmm. them as partners and that, that whole back and forth that they do in every single one of the movies. But I just, I love that part when he's like, you're not going to make it. You know, he's trying to, he pulls up onto the, <laughs> the divider and he's like, you're not going to make it. Yes, I will. He's like, there's not enough room. There's plenty of room. Sure. I'll make it. And then all of a sudden he's like half up on the guardrail and, uh, you know, sparks <laughs> flying everywhere. And, and then, uh, finally when they get back down again, he's just, he's just laughing. He's just like, Nope, you know, you, you were absolutely right. There was not enough room. And I just, I, I thought there was, but no, nope, not enough room. Yeah. And then, and then cut to a few minutes later, I think it's just a few minutes later. And I think it's when they've got the car. Um, I forget exactly when it was, but I think it might be when they've got the car at the, uh, the police lot and they're getting it, trying to get it repaired. And, and, and Murtaugh says, this was a new car and Riggs is just like, well, still a new car. Hmm. Yeah. It's just in bad shape. It's, but it's still a new car. 
The yeah. version that we saw was the director's cut that had some extra stuff in it that I'm not sure I'd ever seen before. You mentioned you mentioned the scene with the car specifically. That's one of the longer scenes in the director's cut where he's talking to the mechanic. There were weird little yeah. things. I was like, I don't know that I've seen this before. This is kind of weirding me out. So I had to go look it up. Okay. See, and see, I didn't notice anything different. So that must have been the version I've always seen. Sure. Yeah. The uh, the character of Leo gets. I've been thinking about this, and I think he works. I think that character works so well because that character is all of us. We're the guy that we're the guy that doesn't belong in the group. We're the guy that doesn't belong with Merton Riggs. But here we are. We're going on the ride with him by watching the movie. He's he's the same guy. He's the one that's he's the fish out of water that has no 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 reason to be there, doing all the stuff that he's doing. He's all of us. So we're watching the movie and we we see ourselves in that character. And I think we can associate and, and enjoy the movie on that level and and enjoy the movie vicariously through the character of Leo Getz because he's all of us. Yeah. Or do I you guys agree. think I'm crazy? No, no, no. I I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz he has a lot of the same, you know, the idea of you know, can I can I ring the siren? Mm-hmm. And I do like stuff like that. Like, what would I do if I was in this situation? I would totally ask if I could drive the car or if I could rain siren or, or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, uh, you know, but, hey, can I get a gun too? Yeah, of course you can't <laughs> get a gun, but of course you're going to ask. Okay, okay, well, sure. okay. And don't forget, we all learned a valuable lesson from Leo too. Don't go through the drive-through. Yep. <laughs> that was i swear yeah. when we saw this movie when we were younger that was like my brother and i that was what we latched on to that they f you in the drive through <laughs> we would say yeah. it so much i think we got in trouble a few times <laughs> but again that's that is us right oh sure like of of all the things that riggs and murtaugh would would complain about you know, here's Leo Getz. He's wanting to complain about something too. So that's that's where he goes. You know what? They f you in the drive-through, okay? Because they know you're going to be two blocks away or five miles away or whatever it is before you realize that they didn't give you what you ordered, and they know you're not going to turn around and go back for it. Like that is very much a a complaint that any of us would have when sitting around a round table listening to other people complaining about bigger things trying to come up with a way to sound as uh as intelligent or as important and the reason that i laughed so hard at that scene this time around is because in the last two to three weeks two times that i've picked up food at a drive through somewhere i have not gotten my entire order <laughs> and i was and i was several miles away and i was just like no i'm, I'm not going back and then I watch this movie. I'm like, you know what? Preach it. Preach it, Leo. Preach it. Because, yeah. I love that he comes back as a, as a uh, private investigator yeah. in the later movies. So great. That's right. And That's he's right. Trying, he comes you know, back. I think in the in the fourth one, he's he's a private investigator. And he's trying to talk the talk and walk the walk with, with Riggs and Murtaugh. He's got Chris Rock in the back of the car. And he pulls up. Right. Who's the... Who's the perp? Now you see a young brother yeah. in the back of a police car, and he also pulls out the gun and points it at him. Oh, God, it's so good. I love these movies. And how great was it that they were able to incorporate Chris Rock 
and his particular brand of comedy and, and let him be Chris Rock, but still incorporate him into, um, successfully incorporate him into the lethal weapon thing so that it fit. I mean, it really yeah. fit in there, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. That whole thing about the, the telephone that they do, the, the rotary phone. Oh, yeah. God, comedy yeah. gold. Anyway, that's not for another couple of years yet. This franchise just fires on all cylinders. It's pretty good. It's pretty great. This is one that I, I, th- I think it was after we did our Lethal Weapon episode that I was like, you know, I just, I think I need to find these movies and just own them. And I did a quick Amazon search. And at the time, they were selling the, uh, the collection on Blu-ray for 20 bucks. Grab it. I was it. like, <laughs> done and done. So it now proudly sits as part of my personal movie library. He asks each traveler five questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. You've got to ask yourself one question. What are you asking me for? I don't know. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So first of the five questions, um, this movie, I'll preface this by saying that this movie, you know, as a, as a high school or college kid, um, you know, I, I knew a little bit about the history of South Africa and kind of what had been happening in that country, but this movie I feel like was actually the movie that, that taught me that there was something very serious going on. <laughs> like I had heard, you know, in the news or I had heard from different classes I had taken kind of just the basics of what was going on. I feel like because this movie had that kind of social political message to it uh, in the background that this movie taught me, you know, a lot of what I knew about what was happening in South Africa at the time, which maybe that's sad, maybe not, but does it, so question number one, does it bother you? Or do you just not care when a movie has a clear political or social message? You know, some people don't like that. Some people don't care. Some people love it. So what say each of you? Does it bother you when a movie has a clear political or social message? It depends. Well, not only depends on the message, but it depends on how it's being used. Mm-hmm. You know, am I watching a movie for two hours being preached at the entire time, being made to feel stupid, being made to feel unaware or is it something that is being utilized as a part of the story that's unfolding in front of me enough to where, yeah, you know what? It is going to pique my interest. I am going to have to go and, and look into more of that. You know, that I'll respond to a lot better than having a movie talk down to me. I don't like that. I don't like being made to feel stupid. I can be stupid on my own. I don't need a movie to point it out. <laughs> Do you have an Do you have an example of a movie that that would be more in your mind preachy or talk down to you, or are you just, or are you I, saying that no? I I don't have uh, I I don't have an example of a movie that that I off the top of my head that I can think of that was too preachy. Um, Avatar. You're you're just saying just <laughs> just for the answer as long as they don't do that yeah like then you're okay gotcha. So, okay, well, so here's my example. Okay, 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 okay. Here's my example. 
the <laughs> the Supergirl TV series. Mm-hmm. Wait, you know, early on, way too preachy about feminism and equality, gender equality, and you know, just beat you over the head with it. Any chance that they could get, they weren't subtle with it. They smacked you in the face with it all the time. Just like I get it, but it's now it's detracting from my enjoyment of this thing. Whereas in Lethal Weapon 2, you know, apartheid was definitely an issue. What was happening in South Africa was definitely an issue. But they brought it up. They used it as a backdrop. And then if you wanted to learn more, you know, they gave you enough information where you could start doing some research on it and figure out what really is going on. So they didn't, you know, they weren't punching in the face with it. So it just depends on how it's used. I would have to agree. Like, it, 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 you don't. No one wants to be preached at unless that's unless you went to the movie to be. Pre- I mean, there are choices you make. Like, you see a trailer, you know if a movie's going to be heavy-handed politically. I think right, or if, or if you choose to watch a documentary. Right, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, a normal a normal movie you don't go to to be preached at, and it's unfortunate, but sometimes that happens. And this doesn't. I feel like it's part of the story. Without the story, you know, with because of that information, you hate the South Africans just a little more. And I think that's good <laughs> in this case. So, so I guess, I guess my take is uh, uh, clearly. I mean, I'm you know, I'm the guy that loves watching action movies and just yelling awesome at the top of his lungs. Um, and and as Bo said, or Jeff Bo said, you know, this one's kind of easy. You know, the South Africans are the bad guys, and apartheid was going on, so it's you know that's kind of an easy thing to throw in there, and and that I, I think it kind of fits into the whole. Um, I, I think it fits into the whole story, and and yeah, I mean, I I think if you go watch a movie, that yeah, sometimes you go watch movies to be entertained, and sometimes you. In my mind, I gear up and watch a movie that you know might not be there to entertain you. It might be there to to tell you a message. You get what I'm saying? Um, I mean, you know. And I guess I'll just give you know an example. Two sides of the of the coin. Um, you know, you look at like a war movie. Um, the movie Dunkirk, I found very entertaining. Um, yeah, there were some scary bits to it, and scary in terms of you know showing you war. But then contrast that with the movie Hamburger Hill. I don't think Hamburger Hill was there to entertain you. I think it was there to tell a, a story, to get a message out. Um, I enjoyed both movies thoroughly. I thought both were excellent, you know, very well done. Um, but again, two different sides of that social message kind of thing. When you, you know, if you look at something a little bit more related to what we're talking about here is... You know, like when I watched this and you, I saw your question, it was like, yeah, okay. You, you know, I, I don't mind that there's a social message in a movie, but it's also kind of an easy social message to get out there and we're all kind of on the one side. In this case, these South Africans, these particular ones were the bad guys because they were the drug dealers and the murderers and so forth and apartheid and my gosh, look how awful that is and look how wrong that is. When you then turn around and watch the movie, for example, Colors. Well, that one's a little bit more difficult to watch 
and it hits a little bit closer to home. Well, now we're not demonizing, you know, a country that's half the world away. Now we're taking a close look at our own country and the issues inside. I, I didn't find the movie Colors to be heavy-handed or too preachy or anything like that. Um, but it definitely was more challenging because the whole movie was kind of about that issue as opposed to it just kind of being put in there to make the bad guys look worse. Another one I think of would be like Blood Diamond. Now that one's about Africa. And again, it gets closer to home because, you know, we're buying our jewelry and look where that's coming from. Again, I didn't feel that it was too preachy or over the top, but it definitely had a little bit more of a gut punch uh, as opposed to, you know, to its social message as, as, to, as opposed to kind of like a one more feather in the bad guy's cap kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just, I don't know really what I'm saying. I, I guess it's a roundabout way of saying if it's done correct, then no can defense, you know. Um, so I don't mind if it's in there. Um it, it just, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I just don't mind if it's in there, if it's done well and it, it's thought provoking. Yeah. 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 Jeff is it. Yeah. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. It's that if it's a part of the story and it's, it's not the focus, but it's, you know, just there as kind of a backdrop, then that's when I'm okay. You know, if it's, if I feel like a movie is getting too preachy then, and I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the movie Avatar. And I look at that one as being a movie that kind of gets a little preachy. And maybe it's just because I didn't care for the movie. If I really liked the movie, I might I might be saying, no, it's a great sci-fi movie um, that just happens to have that message in the background. But that's one where I kind of feel like eh, I, I wasn't totally entertained, so I, I kind of felt like I was being preached at. Sci-fi definitely movie. has that potential to get preachy because they, um, in trying to give a message but using alternate themes i think some directors feel like the audience doesn't quite get what they're saying and so they start to hit you over the head with stuff because they want to make sure you get the message and i think avatar is a perfect example of that when you guys say you don't like the stuff that gets heavy-handed is that like when you get an action movie lethal weapon 2 that incorporates a social a social message that Okay, that's okay, but don't let that become the focal point of an action movie. Or Avatar. Avatar is supposed to be a sci-fi adventure movie. Don't let that social message take over too much. Is that the heavy-handed you're talking about? And then I flip back and I said, like, for example, when we reviewed Colors, did you feel that movie was too heavy-handed? Or was that one okay because that's what the movie was about, was the social, social message? Or if you've seen Blood Diamond, was that too heavy-handed? Or was that one okay because that's what it was supposed to be about? Is Blood Diamond's actually a really good example. I think that's one that got a little heavy-handed but gets a pass because that's what the movie's about. Um, okay. I, don't, I think it's really hard, at least for me, to have too much of a blanket statement on this because one of the things about really good science fiction is really good science fiction's goal is to address a modern social message in a way that lets you get the message out there without it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a really good... John's example of Avatar is actually a really decent example of heavy-handed to a point. Like, they beat you with that message a little much. Um, I think. And, so and I think the thing is, both... And, and you brought up the fact that with sci-fi, you have 
storytellers that are usually trying to deliver some sort of commentary on some sort of social thing. Right. I mean, heck, the, the whole original series of Star Trek was a social message. But what gets me, what what drives me crazy is that, you know, if a director or a storyteller wants to go down that avenue, then don't assume your audience is idiots. Right. Like, Don't assume we're not going to pick up on what you're trying to say, because then the more you try to, to put that thing in front of us and keep showing us that issue the more annoyed I'm going to be by that issue. I, it, it's not that I, I think it's a good issue or a bad issue. I'm just going to be annoyed because you think I'm a moron and can't follow your film. So if you really want to get that message out, then don't choose that avenue of film to make. Make a documentary, documentary where you can just put out what you want them, what you want your audience to know. You can, you can, as, le- as I think this movie did, you can show that apartheid is bad without turning to camera and saying apartheid is bad and listing all the horrible things that go on. And I feel like, and it's been a long time since I've seen Avatar, but I, I feel like at one point there's a moment where there's, a, there's an explainer where they say, this is just like on Earth, where we did X, Y, Z. Like, okay, yeah, we all got that 20 minutes ago. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> Right. And I think that's I think Jeff's point is important to point out is that the having a social message is not bad. It maybe is just how it's presented that, yeah, when you feel like you're being treated like an idiot or you feel like it's just too much in your face or too on the nose or whatever, that if you're going to have if it's going to be entertainment mixed with a message, then make sure it's blended well. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of good apartheid information in this movie. But they never turn to camera and say, you know. Right, like the lights don't dim and a spotlight shines on one character while that one character starts narrating to us about, you know, all, all, all of the, the, the bad things that are happening. Right. And knowing is half the battle. Right. Like it's, it, it's almost right. when it turns into a PSA. Like, oh my God, we get it. So anyway. All right. Well, question number two. So I think our next our next four questions are going to go pretty quickly, maybe. Um, question number two, best 80s buddy cop movie sequel. And I gave you the options of Lethal Weapon 2, Another 48 Hours, Die Hard 2, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. But if there's any others, feel free to throw those in there. What is the best 80s buddy cop movie sequel? And I will throw my answer in immediately and say Lethal Weapon 2. Agreed. You're yeah. killing me yeah. on this one because there's a lot of good in there. Um, there's debate about whether Die Hard is a buddy cop movie. True. True, um, there's no buddy. I mean, he's got Al, but not really. <laughs> um, but I love Die Hard 2. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is fantastic. Um, another 48 Hours is good, but it's not you know, as good as the others, I would say. But of that list, if you're still considering Die Hard Buddy Cop movie, i got to say Die Hard 2. Of that list, Pat, which Leith- one or if you... Yeah, I, I Lethal Weapon 2. So I okay. thought I said that, because I think I... I voiced my, yeah. Well, so then that leads us into number number three. Which of the Lethal Weapon movies is your favorite? And I will very quickly say this one. Lethal Weapon 2. I'd have to agree. You could talk me into three just because it's so fun, but... Yeah, I'd go with this one. For me, it's the uh, original. I liked Lethal Weapon. I, 
I don't have specifics. And Leo Getz makes it very hard to, to you know, because he's such a great character. But I, um, yeah, I still, I still dig the first one the most. All right. Number four, what is your favorite Joe Pesci role? And I will immediately, without hesitation, say Vinny Gambini, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> Definitely top three for sure. These, these two Utes. Exactly. What Utes? is a Ute? What is a Ute? I'm sorry, youths, youths, youths. <laughs> so that one's mine, without a doubt. My cousin Vinny. I would have said my cousin Vinny, but since it's already out there, my second one was Casino. Nikki Santoro. Mm. Love me some Casino. Uh, <laughs> I almost want to just reject the question. <laughs> We've, I think we've established that five questions is Jeff's favorite part of the show. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if we're not uh, not repeating a character. No, you can repeat. Oh, totally. I had a top five, and I just decided what I was going to do when it got there. I, God bless it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Leo Getz and Vinny Gambini and Tommy DeVito. Mm-hmm. David Ferry from JFK. He was fantastic. Harry the Crook. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, he's so versatile. When you, when you really start looking at all these different roles that he's, that he's done, he just, he can take on almost any kind of character. Mr. Big and uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Mm-hmm. And in Smooth Criminal. Mm-hmm. I can't choose one. Okay. We broke Jeff. I, I think this question's stupid. All right. Pat, I think we broke Jeff, so do you have a do you have one for this one? Did you I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Leo Getz. I I, I really like the My Cousin Vinny character as well. Um but I, this Leo Getz character, it just yeah, it, I, I I dig this. And I mean, all the other great roles that he's been in with, like, the Bob movies and stuff. Um, I, I like rooting for a good guy. So, I mean, he's really, really good in those. But if I was going to say a favorite character, uh, yeah, I got I to gotta go when he's one of the good guys. All right. And then final question here. Um, and this, you know, I, I think with our comments mm-hmm. on how we feel about the rest of the Die Hard movies... Um, I think I probably know the answer to this one too, but uh, should Riggs have died at the end of the movie? In the initial no. drafts, he died at the end of the movie. It was a very heroic death where he saves uh, Murtaugh and his family, and that was kind of the completion of his story, going from a suicidal, you know, guy with a death wish to making a heroic sacrifice at the end of the second movie. Should he have died at the end of the second movie? No. When I was reading kind of what that original ending of the second movie was supposed to be, I thought, okay, well, that's that's interesting, but that's not the that's not the road that the Lethal Weapon movies took. Like they were they were veering much more towards comedy, starting with this one, and mm-hmm. you know, it just when you're starting to go that direction, no. You know, and I, I get that. I get that. You know, when they, Hollywood has those brainstorming sessions, or people have brain, you know, it's the whole throw the idea out and see what sticks, and now we're, like, you know, we hear all these ideas because they, oh, well, you know, someone thought this was a good idea, and some, but then, 
sometimes I kind of I get a flashback to the Great Escape when they ran into a problem and the guy suggested something and he's and they just attack him on it like no we can't do that and he's like well I was just thinking out loud and these guys said for God's sakes think clearly man and that's how I get when I hear those ideas okay I know you were brainstorming but for God's sakes just think clearly no we're not going to kill Riggs off because that would be mm-hmm. stupid and it won't work and then we wouldn't have two other movies. Yeah. Speaking of heavy-handed, that's the heavy-handed social commentary that gets Pat upset. Don't kill off the action hero. Watch <laughs> the last action hero. No one dies in the movie world. It's true. All right. Well, it only, you know what? Actually, one thing I forgot to mention because I, I wanted to mention it. I think we mentioned it on one of the other shows, too. Um, that The new year. There will be six questions. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> No, it was, um, I think it was Lethal Weapon, or no, it was um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Did we talk about this before when we talked about Die Hard, that Die Hard with a Vengeance was supposed to have been a Lethal Weapon movie? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that yeah. on the Die Hard podcast. Did you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and knowing that when I watched, because I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance um, back in December when we were getting ready for the Die Hard one, I just went through and watched all the ones that I hadn't, all the ones I'd seen and all the ones I hadn't seen yet, and um you know, I, I watched that this time knowing that that originally had been intended as a Lethal Weapon movie. I'm like, you know what? This would totally work. Oh, it yeah. It would still work as a Lethal oh, Weapon movie. Now we just need a movie mm-hmm. where John McClane meets up with Riggs and Murtaugh. And oh, they my can, God. They can all have an adventure together. Zeus and John McClane and Riggs and Murtaugh can go have an adventure Yes. Together. Holy crap. Die Hard with a Lethal Weapon. There it is. Let's do it. Let's make that happen. Well, they have the Expendables. I feel like they can do these crossover movies, and it's all you know, people are going to go see it. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our Lethal Weapon episode. Uh, so this time, uh, this time next week, you can join us again for License to Kill. Uh, so that'll be our last of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. We did uh, Living Daylights. Um, was that a couple of years ago now? I think so. Next week, we're going to be doing License to Kill. Uh, and then looking ahead, so our February month of movies are our sports movies. And uh, yes. we've got um, Major Sports League, ball. Field of Dreams. So so here we go. Because we, a lot of times, pulling back the curtain a little bit, a lot of times we may record uh, a couple of episodes at once. So we're going to be recording Major League and Field of Dreams on the same night. Nice. Oh, so Talk about opposing views of the same sport. You've got to love it. Well, you guys better make sure all you jokers are there. I'm expendable for that one. But you guys better be there because <laughs> I want to hear a really good discussion. So this is like, you know. I feel like January, a lot of January has been all of our wheelhouse, but I feel like, Jeff, this is like, this is like your thing when we get to Major League and Field of Dreams. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. And then after that, we have The Wizard, um, which I got to say, I have not seen The Wizard since I was a kid. I loved it as a kid. Oh, me neither. I can't wait. Had not seen it since then. I watched it the other day and I don't care what anybody says. I mean, I know it's not a, an amazing, great movie, but I really enjoyed it. Even as an adult, I watched it. I was like, you know what? I remember. Yeah, you feel good at the end of that one. You do. And I was like, you know what? I remember a whole lot more of this than I thought I did. So, is that Fred, um, Fred Savage movie? It is. Fred Savage. Uh, Bo yes, Bridges the, is the, in it. Uh, Christian the, Slater is in it. Yeah. Is that the video game one? It is a video game one. Yeah. Where they Don't they introduce Super Mario 3? They do. And I remember, I went to go see this movie in the theater and I think that that was the official announcement like to the public of Super Mario 3. And I feel like I remember going nuts in the theater with every other, you know, nine-year-old child that was there when they unveiled that. And I was like, wait, what? 
okay, when do we get this game? When does it come out? When is it? Yeah. I vividly remember that. So either I'm remembering it totally wrong, and I just have this manufactured memory of being amazed by that, or that's exactly what happened. So we got that. Uh, and then finishing off with The Blood of Heroes. So that'll be our month of February for our sports movies. Um, in the meantime, if you want to find out more about our show, go to 30podcast.com. Check us out on Twitter. We've got a voicemail line that you can call in. Uh, you can find that on our website, too. Um, but uh, that is going to do it for our show this time around. So next time, we'll be talking License to Kill, 007, the Timothy Dalton movie. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being here tonight. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. All right. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we will see you back here next week.